You know, I asked uh, for a couple Cokes earlier. I don't know what y'all's favorite drink is. We, uh, we have been to the Dr. Pepper Museum before uh, in Texas. How many of y'all have been to the Dr. Pepper Museum before in Texas? One person, right? Two people, three. I love, I guess if you were to ask me what's my favorite uh, drink, it would be probably Dr. Pepper, I guess, if I were going to name a soda. Don't drink a lot of it. However, yesterday we had the opportunity to go to a Coca-Cola store. How many of y'all have ever been to a Coca-Cola store? Mmm. I mean, that's pretty good. Some people collect Coca-Cola brand stuff. Have y'all ever seen that before? They collect Coca-Cola brand and they will decorate their house with it, um, which I find quite interesting because they, they love that logo. I have a friend of mine who decorates with Dr. Pepper stuff, right? He loves that logo. Anyhow, I, I Coca-Cola, but I asked for two because I wanted to share one uh, with somebody. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share one of these with you. That was not supposed to happen. Hold on just a second. I'm going to share this with you if you don't mind. And I want you to go ahead and open it up for me. And what we're going to do is we're going to share a Coca-Cola together, okay? Hold on, let me go get mine. We're going to share a Coca-Cola together. All right, on the count of three. Mine's already popped. You go right ahead. One, two, three. Why aren't you doing it? Is there a problem? You don't want to take a bath. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds like teenage boys. I know. I want to take a bath. I want to take a bath. I don't know what the problem is. I mean, it's an unopened can, right? Here you go. Why don't you go ahead and open that up for me? Just right there between you two. Ready? We'll share it together. One, two, three, go. Why can't... No, don't give it to a teenage boy. It's nothing personal, man. I've had teenage boys ruin my illustrations before. There's a reason I picked two ladies, right? Truth, truth is, I could give this to just about any boy and they would open it, right? Yeah, give it to a girl and it's like, no, thank you, right? So that's why I chose a girl, right? Interesting thing about a Coca-Cola that's shaken up and, and that's been dropped on the ground is if I were to pop, isn't that interesting? The initial reaction was, isn't that interesting? Nobody has the desire for the contents of this to get on them, right? I want to talk to you today about a serious spiritual principle. And that principle is, is one that is found in modern day concepts of technology. But I want to take it beyond that because the lesson title is Don't Hit Send. Okay, that's the title that I was assigned. But I don't want you to think about it from the standpoint of, okay, here we go. He's saying don't send the, the inappropriate picture, don't send... You know, that, that, that statement, think before you sin. That would be the easy way to do it, right? Here's, here's the way I would like to discuss this in the light of a, a, a Coke can that's been dropped, that's been shaken up, uh, that you understand that if that, man, it's starting to bulge at the top even already, right? And the whole concept behind that is this. If I were to pop that top on that can, then the contents would come pouring out, correct? And once the contents come out, then it gets all over you. It gets all over your neighbor. It gets all over your friend. It may shoot up in the air, right? 
But the difficult thing is this. Once the content spew out, it is impossible for you to return them to the can. When you and I think about the concept of do not hit send, I don't want it to be just a lesson on the idea of uh, there are some pictures that we shouldn't send, there are some statements that we shouldn't send, there are some words we shouldn't type. I want it to go to a core, and, and here's, here's my reasoning. Because God has called us to be lights in this world. And because He's called us to be lights in this world, what comes out of your can really does matter. You hear me? What spews out of your can really does matter to God. And here's the reason. You ready? Because what comes forth is a reflection of really who you believe your God is. And His value that He holds in your life. You see, when we look at the Scriptures, we read of a, a concept. And that concept is about a testimony. I'm not talking about like a testimony like... Uh, you know, that no man can testify on his own behalf, but he has to have two or three testify for him. Uh, therefore, the Pharisees had a problem with Jesus when he claimed to be the Son of God. Um, not that kind of testimony, but I am talking about a testimony in a same light, but it's, it's, it's a testimony that fits with a word that you and I know as reputation. And the reason I turn to that word is because when I look it up in the, the original language, the Greek language, it has a lot of different usage uh, usages that you could look at and one of those is what you say about other people or what you testify to. But then there's another use for it and that is this, what do you say about yourself? Thus, what are you testifying about yourself? And, and that aspect of reputation is where we get our concept of, man, that's my rep. This is what people know me as. This is how I portray myself. But beyond how I portray myself, this is how people really know me to be because my reputation has gone before me. In my life, I've had individuals that have tried to say some pretty mean things about me. I'm sure you have as well. You look at me and say, why would anybody say anything about a guy that is good looking and as bald and as beautiful as you are, right? Well, because sometimes even within, even within preachers uh, and within families and within uh, relationships, sometimes people try to demean and they try to defame and they try to slander. They did it to the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Paul would defend his apostleship. They would do it to others who would follow Jesus and they would try to attack and try to attack. But here's the neat thing as you go over and over again through the scriptures is that God is the God of vengeance, not you, right? And so therefore you let him take care of the naysayers and you just keep living your life in a consistent manner as a child of light. In other words, one who walks in fellowship with God, 1 John chapter 1. When you do that, then other people will see your reputation and they will come to conclusions to the positive, to your benefit. Therefore, when other people try to slam you, what they're going to say is, I know him, I know her, I know who they are, and that is not consistent with their reputation. So therefore, the people that are the slanderers, the naysayers, they actually can, can harm themselves and their reputation by them trying to harm yours. Now here's the deal, that is if... What comes out of your can is honoring to God. But what about when we don't pay as close attention to reputation as we should? 
You say, Joe, I'm not concerned what other people think. Well, you should be. You should be, and not in a sense that it controls your life, but in a sense that it's consistent with Scripture. Because the truth of the matter is, when I look at Acts chapter 6, I read of the choosing of the seven that were going to help take care of the, the Hellenistic Jews and the native Hebrews, especially the women when it came to, to serving and waiting on the tables. And this is where the apostles said that they didn't need to be pulled away from the, the preaching and the teaching of the word to serve the tables, that they had a responsibility. And there were other people that ought to fulfill the table serving responsibility. And here's what is said in chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good, the New American Standard says, reputation. Select from among you men of good reputation. I wonder what that would have meant. Well, I tell you this, it would not have been a, an individual that didn't care about what other people thought. It wouldn't have been individuals whose lives would testify that they were not God followers, that they were not disciples uh, after Jesus. As a matter of fact, that concept of being a good reputation is the idea that their own life and the things that they testify about themselves and what other people see, they would qualify in the category of being good and so therefore there were men that were chosen. That idea of reputation is not only in Acts chapter 6, but it's also over in 1 Timothy chapter 3 in the, the outlining of the qualifications of deacons and of elders. And in particular in this idea of an overseer, chapter 3 verse 2, the Bible says in verse 7, and he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. I think it's quite interesting that not only is it a matter that the Bible speaks of those who have good reputations within the body of Christ, but then when it turns to our leaders, it talks about individuals who have good reputations within the community. Good reputations within those that they will encounter in life outside of the body of Christ. So you can't convince me that God's not concerned about your reputation. Now, I'm not suggesting to you he's concerned about it in the same manner that maybe you're concerned about it. In the sense of, well, will people bash me on social media? Will they, will they include me uh, in their group? Will I get the text about what's going on on Friday night? What's wrong with my reputation? Why will he not pay attention to me? Why will she not pay attention to me? The idea behind why God is concerned about your reputation is because the reality is he wants to bless you and he cannot bless you if you are not, listen to me, if you are not concerned about being a blessing to him. Do you hear me? Because the truth of the matter is, in the book of Ecclesiastes, we learn that a good name, a good name is better than good ointment. Some of you know Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 1, that a good name is more desirable than great wealth. This morning I want to invite you to look at a couple good names with me. The first one I want you to turn over to Acts chapter 10. Good names, what does it say about them? What is the statement that is made about what their reputation is? That their own personal testimony. I want you to look at Acts chapter 10. This is an individual that is, is, uh, is not in a covenant relationship with God. Understand that. Uh, no indication here that this man named Cornelius 
uh, is in a covenant relationship with God at the beginning of Acts chapter 10 because what we find out is that the Apostle Peter, he, he understands something because of his interaction with Cornelius and that is this, that Jesus Christ died for all people, Jews and Gentiles, that nobody is without uh, outside of the reach of Jesus unless they choose to walk away and have a heart that is cold and don't repent. In other words, Gentiles have access, right? And I'm grateful that they do because I are one of them, right? Unless you're Jewish, you are one of them too. So you're like, did he just really say that? Yes, I did, and I knew what I said, right? So don't come correct me afterwards. The idea behind Cornelius, though, is this. Look at Cornelius chapter 10, verse 1. The Bible reads this way. Now there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. So in other words, this man is military. He was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. Now I just want to stop there for a moment because this man, I want to remind you, is not in a covenant relationship with God. Yet he's doing good works. I find it quite amusing in our society today that we have turned to what some are called, have, have called for, for a while social gospel. And the idea of that as long as you're doing good and as long as you're, you're, you're helping other people, then you're well-pleasing to God. I would offer this to you, that God is well-pleased when we understand what it means to, to feed the hungry and give water to the thirsty and visit those who are in prison and clothe those who are naked. Does He want us to do those things? Absolutely, but please hear me, none of those things will save you. You can't feed enough hungry people to earn your salvation. You can't give enough water to earn your salvation. You can't walk far enough to drill wells in foreign countries to earn your salvation. There's only one way salvation can be had, and that is by God giving you salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. Cornelius was a good man. He was doing good things. And as a matter of fact, I would offer this to you, that Cornelius being chosen is not by accident here. As we find that God is at work in exploring and explaining what's going on to Peter. So the Bible says, verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw a vision. An angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. And fixing his gaze on him, being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? He knew it was God. He knew it was Lord. He said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon who is also called Peter. Now I think it's quite interesting that you have an individual here that is giving alms to the poor, or giving alms to the Jewish. That means he's giving of his own means. Cornelius must have been a man that had some means being in his position. Uh, he would have had reputation amongst those around him that he had influence with. But I would offer this to you. When I drop down to Acts chapter 10 and verse 22, I find this as a description of Cornelius. They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews. Well spoken of. He's a Gentile, but he's well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews. You understand that what was coming out of the can of Cornelius was a positive reputation. What was spewing forth from his can 
was impacting people even though he wasn't in a direct covenant with their God. He was recognizing their God as, as God. But you see, even Cornelius was baptized later on for the remission of his sins. You begin to find out real quickly that there's something to a good reputation. Cornelius, though, is not the one that I really want you to focus on. He's a good one, but he's not one that kind of, I guess you could say, makes me stop. I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 1. Because in Luke chapter 1, we encounter a, a, a young girl. In that time, she's a young woman. In that time, she's, she's ready for betrothal. She's ready for marriage. She's ready for childbearing. But many would say that she's simply a teenager like many of you young ladies. And that's Mary, the mother of Jesus. The reason I stop here, and I tell you, Cornelius and the description of who he was and the, the well spoken of throughout the entire nation of the Jews, the reason I tell you that that's, that's neat and it draws me in but it doesn't stop me like Mary is because we learn more about Mary and her testimony about herself in, in this account. And it's not that she's going around bragging about who she is. It's that there's something about her that God sees. Because do you understand that God could have chosen any, any descendant that would have fit in line with the, the, the prophecy concerning Judah. A young virgin that would have been in the right family line, that would have given birth in the right place, that would have fulfilled all of those requirements. But of all of those that he could choose, he chose Mary. This is not a lesson of elevating Mary of anything, but she's human. Okay? But I do want you to go with me in Luke chapter 1. Because I want you to see what reputation she must have had before God. You see, in Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26, the Bible says this, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. That description, don't, don't, don't just read over it. Because this is the messenger of God telling her that she is favored. How would he even know to say she was favored if God had not revealed to that angel that she was favored? In other words, this is a declaration not from the angel but from God. He said, greetings favored one, verse 28, the Lord is with you. Verse 29, but she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. In other words, that's not normal. What, what, what is that? That's not normal. Verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Don't just read over that statement regarding the way that God saw her. God saw her as one that was worthy. God saw her as one that was selected out of all the Jewish women that would have fulfilled the prophecy. He said, this is the one that will be the vessel. But I would propose this to you that Mary as the vessel was not an accident. I'll, I'll tell you why in a little bit. Verse 31, and behold, you will conceive 
in your womb and bear a son. And you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? Do not read over that statement. Purity was a part of Mary. To her core, purity was, was who she was. She was young. She would have been a, an individual of age to be able to engage in impurities like that. But she says, how can this be since I, I've never known a man in that way? How, how can I be with child? Verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she is called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing... 37 will be impossible with God. And it's verse 38 that I want you to look at. And Mary said, Behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now young people, when you read that, I don't know what thoughts go through your mind. I don't know if in your mind you, 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 you see, you know, the, the birth of Jesus and you see the wise men and and you see the camels and all the things that, that Hollywood and, and images that they bring to light. I don't know what's ingrained in your mind, but I want to tell you what's ingrained in mine, okay? I want to tell you what I have learned to appreciate about Mary. Here's what I've learned to appreciate about Mary. That she's in a culture that you either lived with your father or you lived with your husband. There was none of this, the wife move out on her own or the girl move out on her own and live on her own. They didn't grow up in America in our time period. This was, you were either in your father's house or you were in the husband's house. And you need to find favor with both because to be outside of that, you have no land rights, you have no way to make money unless you turn to in inappropriate activities. Uh, and so therefore, it was, it was a big deal to not bring shame upon your father or not bring shame upon your husband. That's her culture. And so as she's a, a teenager, many scholars would look at that and say, very young girl, she's described as a virgin. We talked about purity, but that also might relate, some translations might say a young woman or a young lady. In other words, they'll, they'll conclude that she was young in life, but of the age of some of you in this room. So number one, their culture's significant and the way that she behaves within the culture. But I want you to think about this. I want you to think about your dreams as you grow up, young ladies. I don't know what your dreams are, but I want you to see Mary's dreams or what I would say might be a typical Jewish girl's dreams. She understands what culture she's in. She's, she understands that it's, it's going to be where her father will, will most likely select a, a groom for her in that culture. Uh, and so to be betrothed, which Mary and Joseph were, was to be as good as, as being married, even though they were not technically married uh, at that point yet, as far as enjoying all the things pertaining to marriage. But to go outside of that betrothal would have been constituted as uh, defaming Joseph, but also defaming her father. And so she's not pregnant at this point when the angel comes. And her dreams are that one day she'll have that that home of her own, that family of her own. 
she'll raise children of her own. And there'll be these happy little Jewish children running around, right? I just always envision, I don't know why, but one of them's going to be named Joseph Jr., you know, you know, one of these days. You know, and, and what are we going to name the other ones? I don't know, let's name them, I don't know, how about Josephina or Josephina? Let's name them, jo- all of them are going to be Joe because that's my name, right? That's my dream, right? But the idea is this, you think about what a young girl grows up thinking about. She's thinking about her future. And then I want you to envision the concept that she's keeping herself pure in the Jewish faith. So she's devoted to God in her context. In her covenant, she's devoted to God so much so that God looks down upon her and says, you have found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Folks, that didn't happen by accident. God didn't just look down at Mary and say, oh, there's somebody who will do. You know why? Think about this. He is sending his son to take on the form of human flesh to be raised by parents to love the the Lord and to to grow in wisdom and stature with both God and man to be taken to the temple to observe the laws of the covenant for which they were under and you think for one moment God's just going to pick anybody to send his son through I do not see that Mary was an accident not according to prophecy but also not according to her reputation. But then I want you to think about this. The angel comes to her and says this. He says, hey, here's what's going to happen. You're going to become pregnant and Joseph is not going to be the daddy. You remember what Joseph wanted to do in other passages? He intended to put her away quietly. Do you remember that? He was going to put her away quietly because of the shame that that represented. He was loving her in the way he was putting her away because let me tell you something, the old law... The old law didn't necessarily require a quiet putting away for a girl who was pregnant and the man that she was betrothed to or her husband specifically wasn't the the father of the child. Her dreams are in the balance. If I go forward with this, I will be ashamed of my father, my earthly father, because I'll be pregnant out of wedlock. If I go forward with this, I will be ashamed to my future husband whom I am betrothed to. If I go forward with this, I can kiss goodbye the white picket fence and the little Jewish children running around and everybody looking at our family and saying, oh, look how neat they are. Mary and Joseph have this really cool family. She could kiss all her dreams goodbye if she said yes to the plan of God. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but... But the Bible portrays that Mary said yes. The Bible portrays that Mary said this, here's who I am before you. I am merely a bond servant. I am a bond slave of the Lord, verse 38. And she said, may it be done to me according to your word. Young people, please do not look over that. Do not... Do not pass that up of what she was willing to potentially walk away from. And you look at that and you say, why? God chose a woman who had a good reputation and yet she has has a submissive spirit to God and so much so that she was willing to give up her dreams to allow God to accomplish His will through her life. Because her life wasn't about her. 
It was about submission to God. You see, when you and I think about reputation, reputation is built, you've heard it said brick by brick, moment by moment, decision by decision, but I will also tell you this, that as your reputation is built, it stamps you. You're saying, well, of course it stamps me, Joe. I understand what you're saying. It means this. I can't go anywhere without people knowing that, that what's in my can is going to show and therefore nobody wants it to spew out. The truth is, your reputation is spewing out right now because your reputation is known. The only question I have is this. Is your reputation being a blessing to both you and God or is it hurting both you and God? You see, this morning, the idea of don't hit sin is not about the pictures and it's not about the words, although those would have been great lessons, right? You know, you know this stuff. Sometimes you don't do it, but you know it. But at the core, it's this. You have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to be pleasing to God in all things, including your reputation. I want you to turn over to Romans chapter 2 right quick. Romans chapter 2. You see, when I tell you that your reputation stamps you, what that means is this, it changes you. The things that you do in your youth will affect you physically. And they will affect you mentally. They will affect you emotionally. And they will affect you spiritually. They affect you physically. It's amazing what I see regularly over and over again about the impact of, of underage behavior and and how that plays into an individual's physique physically. But be, even beyond that, uh, diseases that stem out of inappropriate behaviors as young people pouring forth into consequences physically as adults. Mentally, the images that you see and, and the, the expressions that you, you release to people, the truth is they all shape you. And you have the ability of where to put your mind and, and what to think about. And where you put your mind and what to think about, it impacts you and others. Emotionally, you're developing right now into what kind of adult you're going to be. And spiritually, you're laying a foundation. Hopefully your parents are laying a foundation to equip you to be a powerhouse for God. But I will tell you this, what happens in your youth does impact you, but it's not just about you. That's what Romans chapter 2 is about. You see, Romans chapter 1 is about the Apostle Paul by inspiration of the Holy Spirit really getting after the Gentiles. That's usually the passage where we talk about how they had exchanged the image of, a, of the incorruptible and rather they had taken and started to worship the corruptible. This is the part that we talk about homosexuality and, and how they had exchanged the natural for what was not natural and, and that they had turned away from God. And you can just almost see in this Roman congregation of God's people the Jews who already had somewhat of a slant now. There's history here. Uh, the Jews have been kicked out of Rome by Emperor Claudius uh, sometime earlier because of their disputes within the synagogues. They had been able to come back, and now when they come back, they find that the Gentile Christians aren't worshiping in a way that the Jewish Christians had set as a precedent. And so there's strife going on. And so you can almost hear in that congregation of people as the person would be reading Paul's letter, the Jews almost looking at each other going, uh-huh, that's right, uh-huh, ooh, that was a good one, uh-huh, ooh, they needed to hear that, right? And he tells them at the end of chapter 1 that they have no excuse, right? But then in the very beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, 
For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. So now he turns his attention to the Jews. And he's telling the Jews, you thought they had it coming to them? Guess what? You are without excuse too. Because in the things that you tell them not to do, you're doing the same thing. Can you imagine somebody doing that? Can you imagine somebody doing that? Somebody going up to their friends, hey, you know what? I just had at church this weekend. You know, we had a good Bible study. You need to stop looking at pornography. You need to stop looking at pornography. And then that same guy goes over to his computer on Friday night or to his phone and pulls up pornography. You'd look at that and you'd say, that person's such a hypocrite. You'd look at that and say, that person's not genuine. Hey, you need to, you need to not go out and drink like that, man. You need to not do that. You're, you don't need to ingest that stuff. It, it's, it's, it's not good for you. And then what does he do? It's Saturday night at the party. He's got his solo cup. You'd look at that and say, that's such hypocrisy. What if it had become well known that in the things of which you tell other people not to do, you go on and do yourself? Here's what happens. You ready for this? The Jews are called out for it. Verse 17 of chapter 2, the Bible says, But if you bear the name Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of truth. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one should not steal, do you not steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you not commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob idols? You who boast in the law through the breaking of the law, do you dishonor God? And then look at what he says in verse 24. He says, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Church, have you ever thought for one moment that what your reputation is will either bring honor to God or it will bring blasphemy to God? Have you ever thought for one moment that you actually do have that power that when your friends think of you there's a clarifier in your name. It's funny, clarifiers. I could probably give you names and you would be able to tell me who they were. I could give you the name of an individual, but I'll try it this way. Uh, an individual that came on the scenes in, in the 40s, or late 40s, early 50s, maybe into the mid-50s from, from Mississippi. He came into a time period in America where what was called at that time, don't hate me, it just is what it is, it was called race music, uh, but where uh, individuals who were taking bribes on the radio, the DJs, they were playing music that, that mainstream America wasn't accepting. And so what you found was that you had some teenagers in what was at that time called in the study suburbia white America would sneak down late at night turn on the family radio in the living room to listen to this music that came on late at night after their parents had already gone to bed. Uh, there were great riots that would be raised because of that in some areas, but yet this guy came on the scene, he had nice hair, he had sideburns, chops, 
he could shake his pelvis pretty good and he was an outcast until Ed Sullivan said he was a pretty good boy. Uh, he would later become known as the king of rock and roll. Who am I talking about? See, I just tell you a little bit and you already know who he is because that's his legacy, that's his reputation. What if I told you of somebody else? He was uh, probably one of the most well-known baseball players to ever be. One of the earliest inductees into the Hall of Fame. He was uh, known as the Sultan of SWAT, the great Bambino. He would, he would play any position he wanted, even though he was way out of shape to play just about any position he wanted. But the problem was nobody didn't, nobody, everybody wanted him on their team and nobody wanted to face him. Who am I talking about? Babe Ruth, isn't it funny that you know his legacy and his reputation? What about this? It's a man and a woman. They, uh, they would go on one of the greatest crime sprees that would ever be in American history. Bank robbers uh, uh, to the core killed numerous people. They were so bad that when they uh, were killed, uh, the, uh, the authorities actually displayed their bodies so that people could see them. And as a matter of fact, today, anytime there's a man and a woman crime spree, they actually call them a modern day... Isn't it interesting how a reputation sticks with you? What about this one? There was a man who believed that Jews were, were uh, inferior. And he actually decided that he would begin to invade because he followed along the lines of what a guy named Frederick Nietzsche who believed in a superhuman race and, and that the idea was if you got rid of any of the imperfections you could actually breed a superhuman race. Mainly they were blonde haired blue eyes individuals and so therefore political enemies were out, those who had physical infirmities were out and if you had the wrong affiliation uh, ethnic, eth, eth, with your ethnicity, so excuse me, then he would have no problem putting you in, in uh, rail carts and sending you off to concentration camps where he would gas you or use you for labor until you were starved to death. He, he would become probably one of the greatest, I would say, criminals in the history of the world, uh, but he eventually would end up getting killed by himself, as history would record, but he caused a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. Who am I talking about? Adolf Hitler. How many people do you know today that want to be called Hitler? What about this one? There's another individual, and this individual was one that lived a long time ago, more so than any of these other people I've just told you about, and he actually, at times you look at him and say he was a good guy. Uh, obviously, he was selected into a, a certain class, and, and, and he was given responsibility. I mean, they don't just give anybody responsibility, but he had the responsibility of the money, and that's a pretty big deal, but you see something about this guy. He, he loved money, and, and, and so occasionally, you know, he would skim a little bit off, until it got to the point in time that whatever the reason was, uh, as he was struggling internally, as Satan was using him, uh, he actually would agree to, to, to rat out his boss, his teacher, for 30 pieces of silver. Who am I talking about? Judas. Isn't it interesting that in the Bible, every time Judas' name is mentioned, there's always a clarifier with it. Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. Judas Iscariot. His name is also, you go back through and look at the listing of the apostles, his name is always mentioned last. Isn't it interesting that reputation and legacy stick with you? I want you to open those pieces of paper.
Every one of them says the same thing. Every one of them says the same thing. Shh. And here's the reason. Because your piece of paper represents your reputation. Not your neighbor's. It doesn't represent mine. It doesn't represent your mama's or your daddy's. It represents yours. And you'll notice that the, the word reputation is on the card, but there's nothing else on the card other than the piece of tape that we had to seal them up with. And that's because as you stare at that card, I want you to look at your card. And mentally, shh, mentally I want you to ask yourself, what should be written on my card? Here are some things I'm going to give you. God-honoring disciple. Should that be written on your card of reputation? Faithful. Should that be on your card? On fire. Should that be on your card? One not willing to stand out from the crowd. Should that be on your card? One who is sold out for Jesus Christ. Should that be on your card? One who is a Christian... Saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, should that be on your card? One who is going to heaven, should that be on your card? Or should your card read this way? Sexually active teenager, and people know it. Has no problem kicking back and throwing back a few beers at the party on Friday night. No problem back-talking my parents... When they try to lead me. Looks at pornography. Doesn't really care about Jesus. Goes to church only because my parents make me. Can't wait to get out of church so it'll be over and I can have fun. Can't wait to get out of my parents' house so they'll stop telling me what to do. And the list goes on and on, but to see the problem is when I stare at my card, you don't know what I see on my card and I don't know what you see on your card. That's why I wanted everybody in this room to have your own card because you're looking at mine. I don't want you to look at mine. I want you to look at yours. And here's the deal. This morning, we had some brave souls come forward and say that they wanted to change their lives. They wanted to be restored, rededicated. They admitted that things aren't right. You know, one of the bravest things you can do is admit that you need Jesus. One of the simplest things you can do is admit that you need Jesus. Here's the truth. Every one of us needs Jesus. Just some of us aren't ready to admit it yet. But when you look at your card, you can't hide from that. Here's what I'm offering you today. I say me. I'm, I'm offering it only because I get to extend the invitation. We're going to have an invitation. There's a lot of steps up here. You know what's on your card. I want to extend an invitation for whatever's on your card that is separating you from God or going to spew out of your can that's blasphemy to His name. I'm extending an invitation to you. It's known as God's invitation, the Lord's invitation, to come lay it down. Here's the deal. 
We all want to change reputation to honor God, but the only way that can happen is by your reputation being changed by the blood of Jesus. It's where it starts, and then it looks like a Christian who lives it out. This afternoon, as we look at these cards, let me ask you a question. Are you pleased with what's on your card? Are you pleased with it, or are you ready to lay it down? Are you ready to say like Mary did, I'm just your bond slave. That's what I want to be. That's my reputation. I'm a bond slave. And you know what's interesting about a bond slave? The bond slave was never about themselves. So therefore to hit send, to glorify self, is foreign to a bond slave of God because their life is all about their master. Mary's life was definitely all about serving God as a vessel. I wonder if as you look at your reputation card today, is that where you're at? And if not, are you ready to lay it down? So here's what we're going to do. Here in the singing of this invitation song, I'm going to invite you to come forward and lay your reputation card down if you want. You don't have to. You don't have to. But there may be somebody who's really struggling with something and for whatever reason, a simple object illustration like an index card that is blank that you have to admit what's on it is the thing that you need to spur you to come to Jesus. And so, will you look at that card as we sing this song? Will you consider it and what's on it and whether or not you need to lay it down? Today, you can confess Jesus as Lord and Repent of your sins and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And whatever's on your card starts over with the blood of Jesus. You've got to live it out there and change people's perspective of you. Just like the Apostle Paul, people are going to be apprehensive at first. But you know what? Eventually they will see who you are because you're changed by the blood of Jesus. Today, if you need to respond to be restored... Maybe you're tired of living for your reputation and you're ready to live for His. And maybe that's your invitation. I'm going to lay my reputation down so I can be all about God. I don't know. It's an object illustration. But if it's what you needed to propel you to get your life right with the Lord, then it was well worth it. And if we can help you, we invite you to come forward as together we stand and sing.